This week on NCIS Reports from the Field, I have Episode 2 of Investigative Action Attack on the USS Cole. Last week, we had Captain Lippold. If you haven't listened to the podcast, I encourage you to go back and listen to hear what Captain Lippold said or observed, setting the stage for the arrival of the team of FBI and NCIS agents. In this episode, Mike Marks reports on October 11, 2000, he had just completed a successful force protection operation in Yemen, working with a demining team. He left Yemen, returned to Bahrain, and back to his house, and was notified the next day that there had been an explosion on the USS Cole. Mike and a team of two NCIS agents and a security officer, led by Assistant Special Agent in Charge, Mike Dorsey, with the Middle East Field Office, arrived in Aden with a crime scene kit and immediately engaged with their in-country sources to try and get a picture of what had happened on the coal. Special Agent Marks would arrive on the 13th and begin conducting field tests to determine the type of explosive device that was used. On the 14th, agents from the European Field Office, Major Case Response Team, and the FBI would begin to put together the pieces of the puzzle that would reveal the most significant terrorist action against the U.S. Navy since the Marine Corps barracks bombing in Beirut, Lebanon in 1983. Led by the legendary John O'Neill from the FBI and Mike Dorsey from NCIS, the investigative team began what would be a 10-day crime scene investigation, which would involve utilization of the ship's crew, a team of talented investigators, and contractors from the Naval Sea Systems Command out of Norfolk, Virginia. This operation, which can only be described as superb, would eventually bring several individuals from the Al-Qaeda terrorist network to justice. Some receiving justice through a drone strike, others still sitting in Gitmo awaiting trial today. I want to thank Mike Marks for coming on the podcast and discussing his efforts during the operation and hope that the results of the actual work on this investigation and operation can be seen by agents in the future as a model of how to respond to a terrible event like this. And let us hope that never happens again. And now, episode two of the investigative action attack on the USS Cole on NCIS reports from the field. Uh, NAVSENT, now Fifth Fleet, was always trying to move ships from the Med into the Gulf um, to enforce up in the Northern Arabian Gulf to enforce the embargo against Iraq. Mm-hmm. Those ships, by the time they came from Norfolk and went through, were you know at half fuel by the time they got around Yemen. Right. And so they decided we could you know be great for the Navy, be great for Yemen. The embassy was on board. They'll do a brief stop for fuel. Right. Um, and they built a, a dolphin in the middle of the harbor in a section of the harbor. Uh, U.S. ships would come in, fuel up, go out. The whole operation took, I think it took about four hours. So these became routine. Um, NCIS said, we can't really do force protection. We can't support it. It was five-hour flight from Bahrain to Yemen. Sure, for a four-hour visit. Yeah, and they were doing lots of them. You know, they were starting to do them all the time. Mm-hmm. So the embassy contracted with the Yemeni Navy to provide force protection with a skiff around it. The fueling dolphin, but unfortunately, uh, that contract was canceled uh, because the Yemeni Navy wasn't showing up because they couldn't get their boats running, or you know, it was Ramadan or whatever. There was always a reason that they couldn't show up, so the embassy canceled that. That information never made it back to NAFSEN. That there was no, you know, it wasn't much force protection to begin with. Sure, but then there was none. Interesting. So the ships that were coming in were naked. So they were supposed to have support from the because we were coming in yeah it wasn't there 
And the other thing is, too, is that the Navy's attitude was, look, we don't need force protection support. We're a warship. We're fully manned. We're stopping for fuel and we're going. So they weren't really looking for, you know, the handshake from the NCIS agent on a pier because it was an operational event and, and they were doing it. And, they, you know, they did it all over the world. Mm-hmm. Um, the after action report that was put together um, said that the Navy and the Air Force were doing this all over the world. There were these little, they called them little lost patrols that were pulling in places where nobody was really watching the plot as far as the terrorist threat. So these things happened. And of course, Al Qaeda is present in the community and they're doing surveillance and suddenly they see these ships coming and going. So we establish a pattern. Once they observed, they had a, a separate lookout place uh, in Aden where they could look right down on the harbor and they would sit up there, American ship comes in and they time it. American ship goes out, you know, four hours and 20 minutes, four hours and you know, 10 minutes. They knew they had about a four hour window. So that was, that's sort of the background of, of how uh, the USS Cole came to be where it was when it happened. Okay. And it was, it was, a, it was a series of, Oh, well, we did this there. Well, now maybe the Navy and the embassy can do this there, you know? So it went from some ship visits to the demining support to the brief stop for fuel. Okay. Um, which, you know, in hindsight, obviously um, we set a pattern, which you never do when you're working in around terrorists and sure. um, they exploited it and they exploited it very well. Now, you know, talking to, um, to the, um, to Harry this morning um, was talking about some of the interviews that he did on the ship and some of the witnesses and what they saw. Um, you had this boat that came up alongside mm-hmm. and um, when you guys, but I'm always fascinated and I've asked this to Kathy and I've asked this to Harry and, um, and one of the things that I was interested in is how, and you, you gave me some information on the phone though, dad wasn't aware of. So you guys get there. You're like the first guy in Yemen when the, when the, when the explosion happens, uh, you and uh, Gary Chamberlain, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, actually Gary Chamberlain and I had been there the day before we had been working some demining issues and they were having, uh, intifada problems in, uh, Bahrain. They were having a lot of riots and stuff. And Mike Dorsey, who was my ASAC at the time called up and said, Hey, you guys get on a plane and get back here. Um, Harry, uh, uh, Gary Chamberlain and I were always kind of grateful for that because a lot of times if we were doing demining stuff and we had downtime and there was a ship in the harbor, we'd go out and say, hi, you know, maybe have lunch. Yeah. Uh, get some good chow. Yeah, sure. Uh, which we may have done on that one, but we didn't because we were on our way back. So we got a call. I got a call at home in Bahrain. Um, it was probably about noon. Um, I went to the office and we assembled a, a four folks from the office. Um, uh, there was myself, there was Mike Dorsey, who was the ASAC. There was, uh, was Harry, as you said, um, uh, and Larry Mullins. Okay. And Gary Chamberlain, who was our physical, ex-Navy SEAL, our physical security guy. Yeah, real good guy. Oh, he's a great guy. Yeah, yeah. rest in peace. He was a good man. Yeah, he was. Um, so I jumped on the first P3 that went down. We had a, a part of a platoon of fast Marines that went down to provide some security for us. And now, I, went down I, wanted, I wanted to ask you about that because... The P3 comes in and it, it seems like those guys don't have too many issues getting off the plane and, and 
kind of moving in to the thing, but uh, it was the, when the FBI arrived, they had some issues. Yeah. When, when I got there, um, I was, it was pretty close to midnight mm-hmm. and my contact from the, the many military intelligence met me on the, on the tarmac, you know, oh, wow. all apologetic and, you know, in, in bad yeah. shape. And at the same time, there was a French military airplane there that was evacuating a couple of our guys uh, to Djibouti because they were in too bad a shape to try and go anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Harry came in, I think, in the next P3, Harry and Gary. Um, and we started started doing our liaison thing and setting things up, finding a place to headquarter out of. Sure. Um, and just trying to get ready for that first day to get out to the ship and see what we were looking at. Right. Um, Harry and I went uh, out the next morning, probably about eight o'clock. Um, mm-hmm. We had a little launch that took us out to the Dolphin. Um, we were met uh, by uh, Captain Lippold. Um, the ship was uh, had a, a severe list. Um, everything was co- coated with uh, fuel oil that had been blown out through the stacks. Wow. It was about 100 and, I don't know, it must have been 110, 112, something like that. Um, we took it. He gave us a tour of the ship. Uh, myself, Harry. Uh, there was an FBI agent that had flown down from Riyadh. Um, there may have been somebody from the embassy as well, but I'm not. I can't remember. So we saw the extent of the damage. So uh, we had 17 dead and 42 injured. Uh, many of the dead were still trapped either in the flooded machinery spaces below, or had been dismembered severely in the uh, in the galley. Yeah. Um, so it was. To be frank with you, I mean, I had been to to little explosive scenes, you know, bomb scenes. Sure. And this was this was immense, and the the, the enormity of what it was going to take to process the crime scene um, was it was overwhelming. And wow. I remember sitting with Harry and and Gary and saying, you know, number one, the bureau has you know has had the authority, yeah, and sure. we were there to make sure no evidence got destroyed or moved or anything else. Because you know the Navy, the first thing they want to do is want to wash it down. But they had a they had a master at arms there who was really heads up. He uh, was really Great. squared away, and he, everything was still sitting in place. You know, everything just like it was. It was amazing. Um, that's good heads that work by him. That's for sure. Yeah, it was. It really was. That whole crew was heads up. I mean, they were doing bucket brigades at some point to keep it afloat. Wow. Um, so we're doing assessments. We're trying to you know get information back to. Back to the hotel where uh, Mike Dorsey kind of set up our little headquarters. And then he was relaying stuff back to Bahrain and also to NCIS HQ. Because you've been in, you know, whenever something big's happened, you know, HQ's burning up the lines. <laughs> trying to find out what's going on. Yep. Um, I ran into my neighbor from Bahrain, who was the salvage guy for, for NAVSEN. And um, my first thought is, is if they can stabilize this ship, let's move it somewhere, you know, and we can move yeah. it to Oman, move it to a, a, a better security area. Mm-hmm. And he said, she said, move it. He said, Mike, I don't know if I can keep this thing afloat for another 24 hours. Wow. So now we're looking at a crime scene that, that's, that could be sinking and going away. Um, the Bureau arrived not too long after that. They were there remarkably quick. Um, and, you know, like when the Bureau comes, man, they come with everything. Those, yeah. those boys had it all. Um, <laughs> But by that point, um, Ali Abdullah Saleh, who's the president of Yemen, mm-hmm. was weighing his options. 
I've often compared him to being uh, like an elephant riding a motor, uh, riding a bicycle on a high wire, you know, um, because he had um, supporters over here. He had detractors over there. He, a coup was always this far away yeah. and he was a master at it. He was in power for 20 some years. Um, but he wasn't so sure he liked the idea of the Americans moving in and he put out the theory that the Americans had blown themselves up, that it was an accident. Yeah. Um, clearly an accident, even though the metal was pushed in and not out. Yeah, um, sure. So they were not cooperative to start with. They wouldn't let yeah. the bureau off the plane. Uh, we had embassy people there. Larry Mullins did a fantastic job. Larry had some really good contacts with the Yemeni folks at the airport, and uh, he did a really good job. <laughs> you know, and that's, <clears throat> that's, that's one of the things is, is with force protection, it's all about those contacts. Yeah, you sure. Know, and who you can call when, when, uh, when the shit's hitting the fan and, um, and get stuff done. Uh, Larry did a really good job of that. Do you think the president? So eventually, they let they let the bureau in. Uh, they were sitting on the tarmac for a long time in that heat. Um, Leo West was their senior bomb technician, and uh, he was the one that was actually in charge of the entire crime scene. And he did a beautiful job because, uh, like I said, it was immense. And you not only had a crime scene on board the ship, you had a crime scene where they put the bomb together in their bomb factory. You had a crime scene at their observation post. And you had to convince the Yemenis to let us go there and do these things. <clears throat> I was totally concentrated on the ship. Um, once Leo found out I, I'd been a bomb tech, trained as a bomb tech, um, he put me uh, basically in charge of the sifting tables up front. Um, so in a bombing crime scene, uh, um, what you want to do, you want to obviously get the evidence and you want to put it through a sifter because there's a lot of junk that needs to go, you know. Um, and this stuff will, will, uh, a sifter, um, and they had beautiful equipment, of course, it's a bureau, you know, we showed up <laughs> with two little boxes, you know, <laughs> they, they had all sorts. Um, so they, they rotate agents through to help and we were always there, but they wanted a bomb tech. So you could identify, um, things, you know, maybe leg wires from a blasting cap or things that survived the explosion. Sure. And that was, that's what I did for probably. I think we were there 10 days doing the crime scene before we could move the ship. How much, material, thank you. How much material did you think you sifted during those 10, 13 days? You know, I don't know. I really don't know. Um, some of the stuff was too big. You know, it was like, it was chunks of metal. Mm -hmm. So to back up just a little bit, this bomb was um, filled the inside of a 24 foot skiff. I think it was. Mm -hmm. So it was about 2000 pounds of explosives which is the equivalent of probably like two or three torpedoes. Wow. And because of the way the ship is designed mm -hmm. this way, I'm looking at the camera. Sure. It came out at an angle like this. It flares so out. that explosion came up and then was forced right back down into the, into the water. And there's a, an effect called a water hammer effect, mm -hmm. which in, in many cases, it doesn't double it, but it, it enhances the explosion. Yeah. So that was one of the reasons we had so much damage there. Um, so we had a lot of debris. Um, thankfully, a ship is a very easy place to do a crime scene, like that, or any crime scene in a lot of ways, because there's frame numbers, there's spaces, everything's on a map, you yep. know? Yep. So we had basically guys with brooms in each part, 
putting it in paper bags, moving it up to the uh, moving it up to the bow where we had. And they would the, just document what frame and uh, location it came mm-hmm. from. Yep, yep, where it came from. And then we sifted through. I was wondering it. about that because uh-huh. I was wondering. So I'm just trying to envision as somebody's been afloat as well is trying to envision how you guys. I mean, because I heard about the sweeping of the uh, of the debris and yeah. how you guys documented it. That's making with the frames. That's genius. That's what. That's the best way to do it. Yeah, it was it was good. And uh, but Kathy had a lot to do with that kind of stuff. Your wife, because um, she had joined us with Don. Um, but the second second day, I think he, they flew down from Italy, um, and she was doing the liaison. Kind of, she was kind of like an unofficial liaison between the captain and the crime scene team mm-hmm. to make sure everything went well. And uh, we couldn't have asked for more cooperation, better cooperation from the Navy. Yeah, um, Captain Lippold did just a, a wonderful job of yeah. kind of, you know, how he led during a very tough time. Yeah. Incredible. Incredible. Um, and it's too bad that he paid for that. Um, yeah. uh, I had, a, I have a lot of theories about, you know, why, why he should not have been held accountable for that. Um, sure. but he was, you know, and that's the Navy way. The captain yeah. always gets the blame, I guess, yeah. but he was very, very good. Um, their engineer was really, really good. Um, and then the Navy flew in a salvage, a Mudsu team, salvage team from Norfolk. Mm-hmm. They were fantastic. Yeah. Um, they were actually the same team, the same people that had uh, discovered the the monitor. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, yeah. So it was they, they wow. were they were interesting people. Um, really good. They they sent some yard workers over from I think they were from Norfolk, and everybody everybody really pulled together. Now I heard that the like the salvage guys, the the divers, if you will. Yeah. Um, how the crime scene was conducted, not only on the ship, but down below in the, uh, in, in, uh, below the ship in the water, um, yeah. and how it was gridded off. And can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Well, you know, cause I didn't, I didn't see any of that down there, but, um, their, their primary duty was recovery of the dead. They were still trapped underwater, okay. which they did. Um, and then, <clears throat> excuse me, Kathy arranged for a ceremony each time a, a crew member was brought up, um, you know, to, to cover the body bag with a uh, with the flag and everything stopped on the ship and you know they piped them over the side. Um, yeah. It was good. It was that was that part was very very good. Um, yeah. There was a lot of respect going on and and one of the things that <clears throat> I've t- I've told cops and, and told young NCIS agents this agents uh-huh. is that as law enforcement we get jaded to awful scenes, yeah. you know, homicides, dismemberments whatever and a lot of it's gallows humor to help deal with law enforcement get you know get through the event but this was like a crime scene with 17 family members dead and the entire family still living in the house and underfoot so there was a lot of of sensitivity um that was carried off very very well um well, I'm trying to think. It was uh, it, it was it was a very very crowded time. I think is the best way to put it. Sure. Um, we put we had some FBI and some EOD divers. Uh, a couple of the EOD guys that were in town for the demining came out, and we were trying to dive down in and see if we could get any of the uh, debris from the the crater in the yeah. in the harbor floor. And I believe from the keel, that crater was, it was a dish shaped crater, which is perfect for what it would be 
um, was 54 deep, 54 feet deep at its deepest point. Yeah, so it really, it really carved out some mud too. But the harbor's so polluted, those guys were getting sick. Really? Um, yeah, so <clears throat> they suspended that. Um, later on, once the ship had moved, um, they hired a, a dredge to come in and they moved, I don't know, 17 tons of material from the harbor floor and then took it up to Oman where they could, you know, process it and sift it and, and get what they that was FBI led on that. They did. <clears throat> they did. Wow, That's incredible. I didn't know about that. Dredging yeah. the harbor. Yeah. They dredged the, uh, they didn't spare any expenses. They really, they really went to it. Um, and of course this is a time too, where Osama bin Laden's a bad guy, but you know, we got to prove he's the bad guy, you know? Yeah, sure. Um, he wasn't exactly taking credit for it. Um, and they had to build from the crime scenes on shore. Um, Bob McFadden did almost all the work on shore for us. Um, and of course, as you know, he's our best, he's our Arabist, you know? Yeah, he's, um, he's the man when it comes to Arabic. <laughs> he is. He's unbelievable. Yeah. Um, I've, I've been in cars with, you know, a bunch of Arabs and he's back there singing songs, you know, in Arabic, <laughs> popular songs, you know, and they're just <laughs> clapping. They just loved him. Um, but he moved mountains getting stuff done. He and, and uh, Ali Sufan, who wow. uh, became kind of famous later on, um, sure. wrote the book, uh, Black Banners. Um, they, uh, they, did a, they did a fantastic job. And then there was a task force that stayed there long after months after the ship was gone at great personal risk, um, interviewing people that they caught and, and, and actually putting the whole plot together. Uh, Bob was, Bob was really, really instrumental in that. Yeah, that's fascinating. The investigation process from, from how you guys were doing the work on the ship, but Bob is on the, on the, on the beach with Ali Safan and they're doing interviews with suspects. It's just, it's just a, a cool story. Yeah. Yeah. It is a cool story in it. <clears throat> it would, it would make, uh, uh, Kirk Lippold wrote a book about it from his standpoint. Um, yeah, I read the book. It was a really good book, I thought. But from yeah, and it would be interesting for, you know, uh, an author to put something together yeah. about how this happened, you know, how it went down, what happened, what the response was, what the end result was, um, yeah. who we were able to, to, to get revenge on and pick up, you know, Nashiri was a big one. Yeah, sure. um, he was taken down. Um, they're just that I think make it a fascinating read. Fascinating. Yeah, I think you should uh, start writing that book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, just a fascinating story as far as you know, as for a response. When you go back to the president, you know, he's playing this. I, I get he's having to play all sides. Yeah, he's got to he's got to look to his people that he's 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 keeping the Americans at bay, but at the same time, he's got to help the Americans. Yeah, so I'm wondering. If, um, if, if after, yeah, after the coal, uh, what the, what the relationship was between his government and uh, when you were still doing work there? Well, I think, I think he really got on board because, uh, you know, that was the gravy train with biscuit wheels, you know, for him yeah. as far as aid and money. Um, I think what he needed initially was that time period to placate his enemies yeah. and, you know, to, to give them what they wanted and what they needed. Mm -hmm. um, probably financially or, or some other government position or whatever to yeah. just try and keep them at bay. But he came on board pretty big time with the Americans uh, okay. because under him, they were doing an awful lot of, uh, awful lot of strikes in Yemen. Was, yeah. 
as you well know, sure. uh, hellfire strikes. Um, so there was, uh, there was a guy, uh, I'm trying to think, Abu Ali, can't think of his name. He was a chief Al-Qaeda Al facilitator in Yemen. And uh, he was one of the first ones that was killed um, through a strike there with uh, six, six members from Buffalo, New York, riding in the van. Wow. Jeez. So, um, so after the, uh, after the coal incident, what, are, are, what happens? I mean, this is a huge event in your life. I mean, yeah. I mean this is, I mean, this is, uh, you know, I know for, for Kathy's perspective, we were in Alabama on home leave and she gets called and has to go up to brief the secretary of the Navy. And she was, yeah. I can tell you that she didn't really want to do that. And, and <laughs> I got called up there to do that. And, and I know that just interrupted our vacation. <laughs> We were like, come on, man. Yeah. The coward said, Hey, we need really need this. So anyway, um, but I'm just wondering, this is a huge event in your in your career and your life. Um I know that you've been asked to go and speak to Fletzy classes, to NIST mm -hmm. classes. Um, and I know that uh, a lot of young agents listen to this podcast today. Is there's one thing that you can think about as you look back on that event now? Um, how you can give advice to the young agents. Um, that are that are coming up one thing is if if you're doing force protection and you're going into any port that's that's marginal that you believe could have some type of threat mm -hmm. you need to you need to convince the navy to never never ever ever trust anybody for force protection that isn't an american right that that has to be double checked that there has to be that they have to also take um methods to lean forward Right. To extend that gate at the end of the pier, to block it with a truck, to 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 request more police, to to amp up their physical security, um, and that's not always easy. And especially, you know, coal was twenty years ago now, yeah. um, twenty two is pretty soon. Yeah, it's uh, those things fade fade away, and business it starts to become business as usual. But that terrorism threat has not gone away. You know, you know that's Shit. amazing. That you say that because I mean I was in Turkey and um, right at 9/11, and um, uh, you know I was very comfortable with the Turkish Coast Guard doing a lot of the picket duties on right. the thing until the ship set up its picket own picket boat. Um, but you know I think back on it, it's like one I'm not sure I would do that these days <laughs> not with yeah. Turkey. Um, yeah, it's just too much influence from the other side. Yeah, there's too much influence. You just you just can't read it and. We, the, the big we, the U.S. Navy we, I think, we, we set this up. Um, there's a little bit of hubris involved, you know. We got away with this so we can get away with that so we can get bigger. We can get more involved. Um, this was bin Laden's backyard, and we were really in his face. Yeah. Except I don't think we realized quite how much in his face we were, you know. Um, and once, you know, things were working, so why mess with it? Yeah. Um, and because they had done, I, I forget how many they had done, probably 20 or 30 of those fueling stops, at least, mm -hmm. um, from different ships. And, and they had tried to attack a ship before the coal, the USS Sullivan's. Um, and it was a, a comedy of errors on their part. Oh, wow. Um, that had happened in the January prior. Um, what they, the, the way they had this figured out was, they had a boat full of explosives and two, two martyrs waiting to go. And once they got the call from the observation post, they went and launched. 
Well, in January, they went and launched, except it was low tide and they got their boat and truck stuck. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the time they got two or three other vehicles stuck trying to pull the boat out, the tide came in and flooded it. <laughs> so wow. um, so they, they left, they split. Um, the next thing that happens is you many fishermen come along and say, well, oh, look what God's given us, motors. So they steal their motors. Um, so it took them a long time to, to, to recoup their motors and the boat and everything else to get back. But nobody, you know, one of the fishermen, when he was interviewed, said, yeah, there was all this, these blocks in the bottom of the boat, string running through it, you know, which is mm-hmm. Sentex primed with dead cord. So, jeez, um, you know, it wouldn't have happened. That probably wouldn't have happened. Like in Turkey, that if an event like that happened, the Turkish cops are going to be over, you know, oh, yeah. somebody's going to know about it and it's going to make its way up the chain. In Yemen, nobody said anything. And that's amazing. Because, yeah. I mean, there was conflicts between the security services there. And, I mean, uh, I remember, again, it was, maybe it was Kathy had told me about the, the, the uh, like the different cordons of security there at the hotel that you had to pass through. You know, there's one yeah. group guarding another group. He's trying to go through. Uh, when we were doing the, the force protection, we had a platoon of uh, Army, many Army MPs that were our, our, our guardians, basically. Um, and they were they were pretty good. But we would do things like... We really, I really try to get them on our side. You know, mm-hmm. if they didn't have a holster, I'd go out to the souks and buy holsters for them. Um, yeah. I had, uh, we, we'd have a party. Um, we'd go buy a, a, a couple of sheep that they'd butcher and, um, you know, a hundred pound bag of rice and have big parties for them. Yeah. So the director at the time, Dave Brandt, said that he was going to keep the uh, CNCI claim that had funds were expended for two live sheep and a hundred pound bags of rice, you know, <laughs> that's great. I didn't know that, but that's a great expenditure of CNCI yeah, confidential funds, if you will. Yeah. And that's, that's one thing. Don't be afraid to spend CNCI. Just make sure you can, you know, back it up, but yeah, uh, a little bit of money goes a long way in the third world. That's amazing. Um, but well, yeah, guys- I was, if I was going to give any advice to young agents, I would just say, know your craft, Yeah, know what you're supposed to be doing, but because by the time you get there, it's too late. Yeah. Um, and uh, really learn your craft the first two or three years. And if you pick up a specialty, whether it's arson or interrogations or um, post blast, you know, just just be the most valuable person you can be, because oftentimes you might be the only one there. Well, that's a that's a great it's great advice. And I tell you, you guys did a phenomenal job there on the coal. I mean, uh, this thank you talking to all you guys. It, it's amazing. I look back on some of the NIST magazines. And what the director said about you know, your efforts uh, yeah. there in Yemen, it's phenomenal. And I look back and I said, that really was a phenomenal job by a group of agents. And I think you guys just have yeah, kudos to you for the work. Well, thank you. There. It was, um, it was like, it's, you know, the biggest event. And it also, as far as my own career, just hardened me towards a counterterrorism uh, yeah. uh, band, which I stayed with for the rest of the time. I want to thank Mike Marks for coming on the show today. Uh, His full interview uh, will be available in November, uh, and it's a fantastic interview. Hope you tune in for that. Uh, Tell us a lot more about his career other than what he did for um, on the USS Cole. Um, Great career. And and, um, as we always say on this show, that's what this show is about. We're about uh, telling the history of the organization one career at a time. So please tune in for Mike Marks in November. Um, and we'll be doing that for everyone who participated in the cold interviews. So hope you enjoyed the show today. 
please, um, if you like the show, um, and whatever podcast service you use, whether it be Google, Spotify, Apple, whatever you use, please consider leaving us a five-star rating because that uh, helps the show keep going. So thanks, everyone. Hope everyone uh, enjoyed the show once again. uh, Thank you for listening, and stay safe, everybody. 